0: Mom and dad were really proud of me. They would really praise me that I knew who I was, that I knew I knew how to speak Navajo, I, learned, I knew my mountains, I knew songs, and I was a really beautiful, sacred person at home. But when I went to school, it was a different kind of story.
1: This is High Tech High Unboxed. I'm Alec Patton, and that was the voice of Bernita Bada. Bernita is a kindergarten teacher in Newcomb, New Mexico, and her class is part of a dual immersion program in Navajo and English. This is one of two interviews with Navajo educators that we're putting out this week. The other is with Peter Deswood, the assistant superintendent of the Central Consolidated School District. I highly recommend listening to both episodes. I spoke with Bernita at the 2023 Deeper Learning Conference. We talked about how she helps her students feel connected to their heritage and proud of their identity as American Indians. This was definitely not something she got from her own teachers, so we get into that as well. One quick definition before the interview starts. Bernita mentions teaching at a BIE school. BIE stands for Bureau of Indian Education. Here's the interview.
0: My name is Bernita Beda. My clans are Ishle, Ashishibashishcheen, Toehiglini, Dashichaybit, and Eidashinala. Those are my four clans with which I identify myself.
1: Got it. What does that mean that you have well, four clans? Well, my first
0: clan represents my mom's clan, and we are many hogans, translated into English. They, they say that's what it means, many hogans. My second clan is actually my dad's first clan. So I'm born into this clan is Ashinhe, Salt People Clan. My third clan is my grandfather's first clan. So that's Toa Glini Water Flow Together Clan. And my fourth clan is my paternal grandfather's clan. And that's um, Batani. They can say within his cover or the Leaf Clan. So that's my paternal grandfather's first clan. Our mother's clan, our first clan, is the the one that we are. So, for example, I have my daughters are all going to have my first clan, which is many Hogan's.
1: And and what's a Hogan?
0: A Hogan is um, a circular shape shelter, a home that's built out of logs and mud. And it's a dirt floor, and it's a one-bedroom. It really signifies the earth. We live in in like an earth dwelling. And the door always faces to the east where the sun rises. Okay. So um, that's what a hogan is.
1: And why is that? Why is it face to the east?
0: Our doors always face the east because that's where the sun rises. And that's where they say the holy beings are the first ones that come out and see your door. And I remember that we used to run to the east early morning. When we go out running, my mom would pick up all our bedding and she would be sweeping out all the laziness, the the bad negativity that's in our hogan. And she would sweep it out the door. And the sunlight that hits that is the one, you know, it makes it vanish. So... She would sweep out everything, and then when the sun hits it, she'd say, it's all gone. Now, you know, you can't be lazy. You know, you can't have negativity in the whole gone. So it was just a routine. You wake up, you get chased out to go run. By the time you come back, your bedding's already picked up, so you can't lay back down or crawl back into bed. The day starts there. You know, you have food, and then you go do chores. So So you you,
1: you, like, go run, like, go for a jog?
0: Yes, um... Exercise was a big part of our, also our culture. So a long time ago, a lot of our grandmas and our grandfathers were really slim. They were really skinny because they ran every morning. That was kind of like their exercise. And also they, they ate really healthy. They didn't eat like fatty foods, a lot of processed food. It was mainly a lot of corn. And um, they drank a lot of water. So a lot of our... Um, ancestors back then were very slim and as we started to colonize and get simulated you know we had processed foods and now um, there's a pandemic of obesity a pandemic of diabetes um, pandemic of alcoholism and um, people not really taking care of themselves anymore Mm -hmm. so back then you know our families we already had a lot of healthy ways we were living and as we colonized we learn a lot of bad habits Mm -hmm. Um, to this day a lot of our kids don't even run to the east anymore they're more on their tvs or their devices they're not really out there active and not really like um you know farming or they're not out there doing chores with the horses or the livestock or the animals and stuff so it's really getting pretty bad out there right now and we as teachers are trying to reeducate and try to reteach them like the old ways, so yeah. we can come back to that.
1: So that's a that's a nice transition to your teaching.
0: Yes, it is. With our teaching, with what I teach, we teach dual language, um, revitalizing our language and our culture. One thing with our program is we really try to build their self um, identity, and a lot of our kids come from homes that are broken or that are not structured, um, meaning that there's no discipline. There's not really a way that um, parents are teaching their kids their cultural ways. So they end up coming back to the schools and relearning it there with our program, with our dual language. And we really feel the more we build their self-identity, they're getting very rooted back into their their cultural ties and that builds their confidence in um, doing really well in school, academically, socially. They're very respectful to themselves because we teach them that they got to love themselves first before they love others. And with that, we teach them to revert back to keh, and keh means family, kinship. So a lot of our kids in our programs are very respectful toward elders they're very respectful to each other and they're respectful to themselves. So we really want to come back to where they're really proud of their identity. And a lot of our children, they're lost. And um, I wanted to say that, like our keynote speaker at the end of this, Rochelle, she said something about really knowing your identity will help you know what you want to do. And that really stood out to me, and um, she was talking about ancestors, saying that your ancestors wanted you to be here, wanted you to be at this conference. And we believe those same things because our our ancestors are a big part of who we are as Navajo, especially that we are a matrilineal society, that our grandparents, especially our grandmothers, are very sacred. Our mothers are very sacred. Our sisters and so we are the bosses in our culture not mm-hmm. not so much the men but the women are the ones that have the planning the thought process the the life process the the reverence so they kind of like are the ones that make the families work so a lot of women out there are the ones raising these kids and We're seeing that more often now um, the men in our culture are not there as much as they were when I was little only because they're getting distracted by drugs and alcohol. There's more abuse, domestic violence in our families, in our homes because mom and dad are not both in the home. A lot of our grandparents are the ones that are raising our children.
1: So in your school... You're teaching kids their cultural ways yes how did you learn your cultural ways yourself
0: my mom and dad were non-english speakers they spoke only Navajo we were raised in a hogan uh, a dirt floor one roof one room and it was kind of as tiny as this room we had a, a fireplace and we were raised like from the ground literally And when my mom cooked, we all sat at one table. We all, we didn't have plates and forks. Of course, we all reached into one pot and we ate in that sense, which built our family community where our brothers had to respect the sisters and we as sisters had to respect our brothers. And we only spoke Navajo. We were finally introduced to school, um, the Western way of um, living, and I really didn't know English until mid-fourth grade, maybe. Mm-hmm. I spoke Navajo all the time at school, and it was hard. My, my elementary, middle school, and high school, my college um, education was very traumatic. And I really got bullied. I think more or less in elementary, we only had Anglo teachers. So I was still getting um, slapped with a ruler on my hand, for speaking Navajo in the class. It kind of really traumatized me, and when I started to learn to speak English, I would hear you know, the Anglo teachers really whispering about me, how dumb I was, and I'm a, a savage, and I'm a dirty Indian, and I smell, and I could understand what they're saying. Until about sixth grade, I started learning to stand up for myself. And it was really hard because at, at school, I was really put down and it was really negative but when I got home mom and dad were really proud of me they would really praise me that I knew who I was that I knew I knew how to speak Navajo I learned I knew my mountains I knew songs and I was a really beautiful sacred person at home but when I went to school it was a different kind of story I felt really ugly I felt ashamed I felt embarrassed and um when I got to middle school, you know, I I really started to be more embarrassed of my parents because they only spoke Navajo. But I had a friend, a very good friend, who is also a teacher now. She's actually an athletic director at a high school. She really brought me out of not being ashamed of myself. So in high school, I was really proud of who I was. And when I was graduating, I was actually allowed to do... Um, the benediction in Navajo, and that really gave me a boost of my pride that these things were still important. And in college, I went to Colorado, Fort Lewis College. Uh, Only reason why I went there was free tuition, and I met people, but there were also Anglo people that went to that school. And it was just really people being discriminating towards me and my culture. It was a culture shock for me, and I didn't go home like every weekend like some people did. I kind of was there, and I had to be there until I finished. So it took me away from my mom and my dad, my brothers and my sisters. Even though it was only like an hour and a half away, I still had to finish it out. traumatic thing that really happened in my college was that my father had passed away March 9, 1999. And it really brought me down because I felt like I was really trying to get a degree for my dad. I wanted him to see that I had a college degree. I finished college. I I did it kind of in that sense. And when he died, I just absolutely had no motivation. And I kind of went into like a depression stage. Uh, One day, um, my roommate says, someone's at the door. I went to get the door and my mom and my brothers were standing there and I knew I was in trouble because they learned that I wasn't going to class, that I had just been sleeping through the day. And my mom and my brothers really gave me a talk like that this education that I'm going through right now was not for my dad, not for my mom, not for my brothers or sisters, but for myself. And that realization really helped me see that school was for me and not for anybody else. So that week, I finally got myself out of it. I pulled myself out of it. Of course, my brother and my mom, they did prayers and stuff for me. And that week, I went back to school. And I finished the next year with a bachelor's degree in social work. So I was, I guess, I guess I was really kind of confused and all along I I guess I was thinking that I'm going to school for the sake of my parents not really realizing it was for myself. So I had traumatic experiences and I really got into the work of social work and realized that that's really negative. I learned about how homes with domestic violence and things like incest and things that shouldn't be happening in the home, the way I learned a home should be was not how it was in social work. Mm -hmm. And I was a child protective service worker, and I actually had to take some kids away from their families because they were unstable. And in a way, it got really personal to where, you know, I would take a child from an unhealthy home. Those families would come after me personally, you know, bust my windows, come to my dad's house and bust his windows and just threats, you know. And it was a really scary time, and that's when I was pregnant with my first child. And I really did not want to have that kind of energy while my daughter was inside me. And my mom had always told me, everything that you feel, the baby's going to feel. So you're going to have to be positive you're gonna to have to have good energy so that you know labor will be easy for you but when I got into the social work field it wasn't that way so I decided that I really don't want to do this this was something another thing that I learned that wow I grew up in a real like strict healthy home but when I saw what domestic violence was doing to our families it really scared me so I got out of that field immediately and decided that I wanted to be a teacher Mm -hmm. And I've always told myself that the way I felt when I was in kindergarten or when I was in elementary, middle school, and high school, I would not ever give those kind of experiences to my students, that I would make them feel the most beautiful, smartest person in those eight hours that I have them. And it was nine months out of a year. And I really want them to feel really special, real precious, and really sacred. And so I really, truly think that helps our students, help my students to be who they are. And I taught with the Gallup McKinley County Schools, and I taught with the Central Consolidated School District. I taught at a BIE school for a while, and some of those kids, they actually come back, and they talk to me and say, thank you for being a positive catalyst in my life that I wouldn't be here today And I had a student, his name is Darnell. I ran into him at TNR in Gallup and he says, oh my God, Ms. Bada, you know, thank you very much for all you have done for me. That's made me a very strong person and I am there for my family and he really appreciated me and he couldn't believe that I was still in the teaching field. And um, those kinds of testimonies really, I guess, motivate me to keep teaching, especially the culture and language. And this kid that was so appreciative said, you know, now because of you, I know who I am. I'm proud to say my clan. You know, when we have occasions that we are celebrating something, I always choose to dress up. I wear my moccasins, and I feel proud of my turquoise that I wear where I'm not embarrassed of it anymore. And I'm really still trying to keep speaking my language and that really made me feel really happy and really proud so that I know I made a difference in some some people's some young people's lives and I want to continue to do that for them mm-hmm. so this program really helps our students be proud of who they are and what I believe is that our culture will never die as long as we keep passing it on to the next generation and I believe like what our ancestors left for us will still be alive. Some people doubt it, but if you really believe that it's going to live on, it it will happen.
1: Tell me more about the program that you're doing now.
0: We are a dual language program. We started out as an immersion program where we had 50% instruction in the Navajo language, and then we had 50% in English. So this kind of started out the whole, the whole thing with our dual language program. We had one teacher specifically just teach Navajo. We had another teacher specifically teach just the English side. So the kids would kind of rotate. You know, They go to their English class and I have another class. And then we would switch them. The fourth graders go to English, the fifth graders come to Navajo. And that was really working out Um, I think that was the best program I think we had. And then they decided to change it where the one teacher does the Navajo portion and the English portion, both languages. And they decided to make it a dual language program, meaning that 90% of the time the kindergarten teacher is speaking Navajo. We decided that oral language development would be the big focus connected to um the cultural identity. So then they decided second grade will do 70% Navajo, 30% English. Third grade would do 60% Navajo, 40% English. And then 50% for fourth graders, 50% in Navajo, 50% in English. Our fifth graders would do 40% Navajo and 60% English. So that's what the district decided to do, and we are continuously doing it. We go back to the drawing boards and talk about things that are not working, things that we should implement, things that we should take out. So it's a constant communication process with um, teachers and administrators. Mm -hmm. And when we first started our dual language program, kindergarten kids that were in our, our immersion program are now actually seniors this year in high school, and they'll be graduating. That's the cohort we started with way back. And when we were told that when we get to fifth grade, there will be a sixth-grade immersion teacher or dual-language teacher, and then seventh grade as they moved along. But somewhere there was a lot of miscommunication, so we felt like they pulled the rug from underneath us, and the kids just went to regular school in sixth grade. Right. And we came back again to the drawing boards and says, no, we, this is what we agreed on. And this is what's supposed to happen. So we're still working on that. And right now, our, our dual language program is from K through fifth grade. Eva B. Stokely is the, the main place that, that the dual language program started. Mm-hmm. And I teach in Newcomb, the dual language program there. We had a big number of interest in in um, parents that they wanted their child to be a dual language student, and as we were about to start this whole thing in Newcomb, the pandemic happened. So then we waited and waited, and um, just this year we finally um, they finally put me in a kindergarten dual language position, where again I teach ninety percent Navajo and. Um, 10% English.
1: So what's that been like?
0: It's a challenge. It's a real big challenge because our students, they're not Navajo speakers. Their first language are, was English. And so probably only 2% of the whole student population in our schools understand Navajo. So it was really difficult when I gave, you know, a lesson in Navajo the kids would just sit there and did had no idea what I just said. So then we decided to kind of go into it slowly where I'm like code switching back and forth. Mm-hmm. But we had, you know, professional development and how to teach a language. And a lot of the people that came in, um, they talked to us and said, you know, code switching would not be something that's going to be effective. So... Just stay in the language even though the kids are not understanding it. And they'll start to start picking those things up. And so we just pretty much stay in the language of Navajo and try not to code switch. And for my students, I noticed the understanding has gotten better. So I speak Navajo. I give directions. I I tell them what to do in Navajo. I'm getting... Some of the little kids are coming back to respond, like, "Yes, I understand, oh, biggidishti, oh balta," you know they're responding, so I really think that just speaking the Navajo, even though they don't understand, using a lot of um hand gestures, they're starting to really understand, yeah, and again, behavior wise um they are so different as far as regular ed kids are not as respectful as our students
1: why do you think that is
0: only because we teach with kinship and we tell our students that they can't misbehave they're supposed to respect their elders their moms and their dads and we have parents that tell us like wow what did you guys do to my child he's so respectful at home (laughs) he does his chores he says shema he says ashore he says "Ah ahiha and we're getting really good, positive feedback from parents.
1: All right, there's got to be a little more to it than that because every school says you should respect your elders, but oh. not all of them well, get I those think, results. Yeah,
0: well, I think it's because we, we tell them the stories. You know, we come and bring up all the stories, like how we emerged from the earth and how there was chaos in each world. We kind of really go in depth and just sitting there telling the story and the kids just staring at you with their jaw dropping like oh my god you know and um, they really uh, internalize these stories and we believe that these stories really happen they're not myths they're not fairy tales and when you tell the kids you know they t- you know they ask tell us a story again and our, a lot of our stories especially our winter stories a heat, um, it deals with um, the coyote And the coyote in our culture is known as a trickster, as a person that's really naughty, um, someone that never follows the rules, but in the end, he's always the one that gets burned. And our kids know, like, someone's getting out of hand, someone would say, hey, don't act like that, you're acting like the coyote, because they know those stories. Mm -hmm. And so they don't want to be like the coyote, the mummy. so they're pretty much kind of start to control their own actions in class.
1: When you're telling these stories, are you mostly telling those in English or in Navajo?
0: For me, I do it in Navajo. And I use a lot of visuals, so I use a lot of picture cards. And just them reading those picture cards, um, then they kind of understand what I'm saying. And since they hear it a lot, all the time, they can tell it to me, back to me a little bit. And that's where, like, the retelling stories comes in from ELA, the sequencing, and... All these different things, I'm actually doing it and kind of training them. So when we do get to that part, they already understand and they know what to do.
1: What would it have meant to you as a kid to be taking class, having your teachers speak Navajo with you?
0: Oh, my gosh. It would have been, I think I would have went farther in my my college education. I wanted to become an um, electrical engineer and... Somewhere along the line, someone says, oh, you're Navajo. You're not good at math. You're stupid. You're not going to do it. You're not going to amount to anything. And that really brought me down. And if my teacher spoke to me in Navajo, I think I would have excelled at my highest level. I could have bought my mom a home with a, a good degree. And I could have bought my dad a truck. I could have, you know, came back and helped my family. But that never happened because all these years I felt so low about myself. And I, I had, um, I guess, really low self-esteem that somebody just brought me down. And, and um, I remember a teacher in middle school says, Why are you trying to hang on to that? It's eventually going to die. Everything dies. Kind of like that. And that really stood in my, in my brain. It still does to this day, and I really just wanted to show her like, I could do this, and sometimes I think, I wonder what my, my you know, elementary teachers would have said about me today. Uh, I'm really thriving in what I do. I actually have a passion for teaching, and money doesn't matter to me, but as long as I love what I'm doing, mm-hmm. and I just wanted them to see that. You guys said I would never have a love for learning, but I do have a love for learning, and I don't want anyone to teach my students that. I want to be the teacher that tells them they can and they will. Mm-hmm. I want to be that teacher to them, not what I've experienced.
1: Thank you so much. All right, I have one other question, which is you mentioned that you said in sixth grade you started standing up for yourself. What
0: um, happened? I used to wear um, a hair, a TL, uh, a hairband to school. And people would make fun of me and they would call me, um, you're just a rez girl. You're just a John and you won't amount to anything. And then, you know, kids walking down the hallway, they really pulled my bun. They would yank it and they would hit me and they would call me like a savage and they would say, oh, you stink because um, I always wore the same clothes over and over Um, every evening. You know, when our clothes were dirty, my mom would actually sit there and hand wash it and then dry it out, and then we'd wear the same thing the next morning. And so they would tease me, and they would make fun of me. And they would say that I was poor and that my parents were stupid only because they weren't English speakers. And finally, one day, I told my dad what was happening. I said, this is what they're doing to me. And and he says, you know what? It's okay to fight back. Go ahead and fight back, so... The first kid that pulled my hair that day, I pushed him and said, try that again. And he tried to do it again. And I, I kind of like slammed him on the ground. And I said, this is my, my sacred hair. But this is where my knowledge sit. And if you touch it again, you know, I will punch you in the nose. And so I finally really stood up for myself at that time. And all the kids in the cafeteria were like, oh, my gosh. And they started to kind of. Stop doing that to me did you get in trouble i did get in trouble and i did get suspended but my dad told me that's okay you stand by what you did as right for you because those kids have no rights to do that to you so we came in brought their mom his mom in and come to find out they were related to my dad and it was kind of more embarrassing for them to be confronted by my dad and say your child needs to leave you know, his hands off, his, off of his sister. This is his sister. And so that's when everything stopped. And people started having a little bit more respect for me. They started to treat me a little bit more nicer, especially the boys. And um, I used to tame horses with my dad. And so I was really tough. So it, it felt like my dad had to give me permission to say, go ahead and defend yourself if you need to in order for me to do it because I just didn't want to get in trouble. Um, so that's kind of, I guess that's where I'm really um, verbal now today. To this day, I'm very verbal. And sometimes I'm at my, my, um, my children's school constantly saying, this is not right. Why is my child going through this? Why is this teacher saying this to my child? I went through that. I don't want my child to go through it. And it's kind of sometimes they're really embarrassing for my children. But I always tell them, you can't be treated that way. You're a person just like them, and you're sacred, and you're always going to be sacred, you treat yourself like you're a sacred person. You're a five-fingered being that needs to be respected. Even though you're a woman, you're a minority, you still have a voice. And in our family, we couldn't be very vocal and expressive, but as the years came along, I became very vocal, just because my dad and my parents really said, you can't just lay down for that. you got to say something. you got to put a stop to it. And so that's what happened to me in sixth grade. So some days I, I um, wish I would have had a better you know elementary experience or a middle school or high school or even a college experience. I wish it would have been more positive. And again, I think it would I would have really excelled. And that's why I don't want to do that to other kids. I want them to excel as much as they can, push them to their potential, and let them go from there. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. Tech High Unboxed is hosted and edited by me, Alec Patton. Our theme music is by Brother Herschel. Huge thanks to Bernita Badaw for this conversation. Check the show notes to find a link to the companion episode to this one my interview with Peter Deswood, the assistant superintendent of the Central Consolidated School District. Also in our interview, Bernita mentioned the keynote speech by Rochelle Gutierrez from the 2023 Deeper Learning Conference. We put that keynote out as a podcast episode in the spring, so we've got a link to that as well. Thanks for listening.